0: Church families, we continue to worship together today. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, specifically verses 10 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. For those of you that are new to Dawson, we're journeying through the book of Philippians together. We come now to this uh, great moment in Philippians chapter 3 that he he sets our eyes, Paul does, on the prize prize. That is the head i don't know how many of you recognize this statue or who the statue is this is phidippides phidippides is uh, 530 to 490 bc There's a great Persian army invasion that comes in. The Athenian army is outmatched, outnumbered. There is no hope. They send Pheidippides to Sparta, 136 miles away, to get reinforcements. He comes with the reinforcements, and there's a ferocious battle, and the Athenian army wins. He goes, Pheidippides does, from Marathon to Athens, 26.2 26.2 miles away to be able to give one declaration, we are the winners. Lore tells us, legend tells us, that he runs at 26.2 miles. He comes to his fellow Athenians and says, we're the winners, and collapses and dies. 26.2 miles. This is how the marathon, at least legend tells us, was birthed. That Pheidippides' journey there from Athens, or from from Marathon to to Athens, birthed the very distance there of 26.2 miles. Now, it's difficult to be able to separate legend from fact. It's hard to speculate what Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have known centuries later about and, and but, but there is no doubt that the Apostle Paul was, was very familiar with the Olympic Games that were contemporaneous to him, to the, to the Athenian Games, that one of the, the, the very prized fights, or not fights, but, but the conquest of that day would have been the foot races, would have been the races. And, and it seems as if the Apostle Paul would have seen those with his own eyes. Maybe at some point in his life per, participated in, in races because when he, when he pulls from the well of imagery throughout the Bible, he oftentimes pulls from this kind of running athletic imagery. Just a couple of examples here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. He's writing to his protege in the ministry, Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. Paul says, "I have fought the good fight. I' have finished the race. I've kept the faith." You, you can think of the Christian race. As, as sort of a, a metaphor for, for your life, you can, you can think about the start of the race as what theologians have called for, for centuries your, your justification, that, that you come to the starting line of the Christian race not through your works. Not that you paid the, the entry requirements through your works, but rather it's been paid by the perfect work of Jesus. So you come by faith to the starting line of your justification to, to run the Christian race that is ahead of you. The, the Christian race that ahead of you is, is what theologians call the, your sanctification. It, it is a race that has hills, a steep descents, their turns and twists in the midst of the Christian race, but you run it because the Spirit of God dwells in you, and there's a finish line that you're headed to. Every follower of Jesus has the finish line that theologians call glorification, where we receive the prize that Paul talks about in these very passages, the the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So all of our life as a Christian, the the beginning of The course of the race to the very finish line can be seen through God's providential dealings with us and His empowerment to to give us the ability to run the race that is before us. This is what Paul is is hearkening back to, this imagery in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Read with me in your copy of God's Word. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, verse 13, "I, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The three truths of the Christian race that I want us to hold on to as we ponder these verses here in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul calls us to, to be reminded that pursuing Jesus requires a holy realization that none of us, none of us here in the sanctuary are in perfect spiritual shape. Let me say that again. Pursuing Jesus requires a holy realization that not one of us here this morning is in perfect spiritual shape. The Apostle Paul, writing in verse 12, says that he hasn't already obtained the resurrection of the dead. He hasn't fully become like Jesus and sharing in his sufferings. Actually, verse 13, he says, I don't consider that I've made it my own. No, he's a follower of Jesus by faith in the grace of God that has called him through Jesus. He has started the Christian race, but has he gotten to the place where he can say, you know, i perfectly run it? No. Has he gotten to the place where he says, you know, I'm in ideal spiritual health. I can just sit back relax, watch other people run the race. And Paul says, no, here the most influential missionary to ever live, the most prolific theologian of the Christian church is saying to us spiritually, he has not arrived. And if the Apostle Paul could say he lacks perfection, if the Apostle Paul could say there's more of the course of the Christian life for him to run, how much more so this preacher has a race to run. How much more so do all of us that are gathered here have room to grow? Now, Paul isn't paralyzed by his imperfection. He isn't saying, like throwing up his hands and saying, what's the purpose of this at all if I can't get to this place of, of perfect spiritual attainment? No, his, his realization that he lacks perfect spiritual health is actually a catalyst that propels him forward. All of us that are here need to be reminded in the Christian race uh, the greatest temptation that comes our way oftentimes isn't the temptation from without of the world, but it is the temptation within us toward complacency and comparison. There, There are some of us in the sanctuary today that say, you know something, I've run far enough. I read my Bible enough. I, I give more than the average person does. I go to church more than he or she, fill in the blank here. And so what we think is, is we've gotten to the place where we've spiritually arrived and we can just put it into neutral and coast. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. Pursue him. Pursue him wholeheartedly here. Stop uh, comparing yourself to others and realize that the ideal is Christ himself and there's so much race to run before us, so run pursue him years ago I was teaching a systematic theology class for New Orleans seminary and I remember vividly going home before I went back to teach the class and I was walking out of the front door my youngest son at that time or my oldest son at that time who was about five or so he he said to me dad where are you headed to and I said well I'm teaching a a class for the seminary it's a systematic theology class he said what is that I said, well, actually, I'm teaching a class on the Holy Spirit. You want to go with me? And he looked at me without any hesitation. He says, nah, I think I know everything I need to know about the Holy Spirit already. He's <laughs> a good preacher's kid. He, he said, Holy Spirit, check it off. I've got the Holy Spirit under control. I know what's going on there. Now, listen, that, that, that's a childlike naivete. We all understand that we can be in that kind of place, but for us, who are adults in our faith, we need to understand that we can have that kind of spirit. We can get to that kind of place where we stop pursuing growth in Christ. We can kind of get to that place where we say, you know something, I've sort of aged out of discipleship. I've come to the place where I've run far enough in my intimacy with Jesus. And Paul would say to us, no, 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 press on. Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. This is a good reminder. The motivation To pursue Jesus, isn't that he's going to like us more? Or that we're going to earn the ability to follow him? You know, the motivation is that he's come to us. The the motivation for us to pursue Jesus is because he has pursued us perfectly. The motivation to pursue him with the race that he calls us to run is because he has captured us first. He has saved us first. He has redeemed us. He has transformed us, and he has called us to the Christian race. So our works for him is preceded by his work in us to call us to the race. And he equips us. We always need to be reminded of why we're running this race. We run this race because he has come to us and he has saved us. This is a holy motivation for us to run the race before us. But notice also in this passage that pursuing Jesus requires a forward focus on the race ahead. Notice in your copy of God's Word in verses 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't languish in self-pity. He doesn't say, oh, the miles that are ahead. I'll never get there. Why even bother? How far I have to go? No, actually, notice this conjunction in verse 13 that propels us forward in this holy pursuit. But, Paul says, one thing that I do. I haven't arrived. I'm not in ideal spiritual health. But one thing that I do here, notice the singular focus of his pursuit here. Notice that he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, how we need to recover as a church that one thing that we do. Notice how we need to recover that singular focus That there there are so many of us that know the temptation to give our first-rate commitments to second- and third-rate causes. They're good in and of themselves. They're good things to pursue, good relationships to pursue. But when we give our heart's affection to that thing or that person, that is who or what we are worshiping. And my question is, who has your heart? Who or what has your greatest passion? Who or what has your greatest commitment? Who or what has your greatest attention? This is who. This is what we are worshiping. This is who and what has our heart here. And Paul says, one thing that I do, a singular passion, I'm forgetting what is behind. As we have this pursuit of Jesus, may we be reminded that sometimes we have to forget what lies behind us. Now, what lies behind us? For some of us, we... we are paralyzed in our Christian pursuit of Jesus because of the sins that haunt us in the past. There's some of us here in the room that knows what it feels like to be, to be imprisoned by a day in our life, to be imprisoned by a season in our life, and we feel as if we're locked up and there's no key to get out of it, and we can't move forward in life because of where we've been, what we said, what we thought in our past, and we believe the lies of the enemy. If you're a follower of Jesus, hear me. This is the lie of the enemy that says to you, there's no way There's no way that you could be a follower of Jesus and have been where you were, said what you did, thought what you did. There's no way that he loves you. I know where you've been. You know what we say in those moments? You are a liar. If you're a follower of Jesus here, the Apostle Paul calls us to forget what lies in our past. Now, there's some of us here that ask a really good question. What does it mean to forget what lies in our past? I mean, what neurologist can you go to that can zap December the 18th of 1986 or whatever day that was that you wish you could rewind and redo? What what doctor has the ability to to just zap that, that neurological memory of that day, that season, that moment, those words? And the answer is there isn't one. When the Bible talks about forgetting what is behind, he talks about the Bible often in the Psalms talks about for God forgetting our sins. Does God have holy amnesia? Does the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God forget? In your life, in my life, the answer is no. He knows exactly where we've been. He knows exactly what we've done. But that image is a metaphor. It is an image that reminds us that we do not have to be paralyzed by our past because our past as Christians is under the blood of Jesus. And if you're a follower of him, we can forget what lies in our past because our past doesn't confine us, nor does our past define us. Our past has been forgiven. Our past has been covered. And so when God, a holy God, looks at that day, that season, that moment, looks at the past where all of our past are littered with sins that are behind us, all of our past that are here have those moments, those days, those words, those seasons where we wish we could redo. All of them. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So moving forward is living in light of our past being covered by the blood of Christ. But some of us need to hear that it's not just our past sins that we need to forget there's some of us that need to be reminded that when the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 verses 3 through 6 is talking about his past, he's not talking about past sins necessarily. He is talking about a spiritual resume of things that he has done as a faithful Jew. Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As for zeal, he's a persecutor of the church. I mean, he, he talks about how he was a faithful Jew, but he considers that rubbish. If you think As I think some of you do, it's all and well to hear Paul talk about forgetting my past. But he doesn't know where I've been. He doesn't know what I've done. I just remind you that before Paul was the greatest proclaimer of the gospel... He was Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church. You know what lies in Paul's past? You know when he lies down in the bed, he can hear the sounds of of children as he was Saul, the persecutor of the church, saying, Mommy, Daddy, where are you going? He, Saul, comes in, captures and imprisons Christians. That's what Paul is moving forward. But also, Paul is moving forward in the light of this spiritual resume where he says, I'm the best. If anybody had reason to put confidence in the flesh, I did. And there's some of us here that need to be reminded that our testimonies are present tense and not just the past tense of our glory days. There's some of us here that, that become complacent in our pursuit of Jesus because our testimony is solely behind us in the rearview mirror. I don't know if you remember that song by the boss, Bruce Springsteen decades old now, but it's a song that has a lot of relevance too. It's called Glory Days. Maybe you remember the premise of it. He, he describes this, this man who goes back to his high school and he has two encounters, one with a, a guy he played baseball with and they, they sit and they talk and all they can talk about is the glory days that will pass you by. The glory days. He goes back and he has another encounter with somebody he hasn't seen since high school and all she can talk about are the the glory days of being a cheerleader in high school and it's just this refrain of of the glory days that we can get stuck in. And you know you can spiritually get stuck in the glory days of your past. Do you know that can happen? That what someone says to you, hey, tell me the testimony of what God is doing in your life And and you immediately say, hey, let me tell you when I was a teenager and I went on a mission trip. And Paul is saying, hold on, let's not get stuck in the glory days. Where someone says, Tell me about that time that you felt so close to God, and you and you talk about a time decades ago or years ago where you're faithfully teaching a life group or a Sunday school class, and there's those glory days of of past service for Him. And Paul is calling us not only to move past past sins, but also the past glory days of our individual spiritual life where where we begin to see that the testimony of our life is how we're pursuing him today, now. So there's some of us that need to hear, move past the past of sins that haunt us, but also move past the glory days that drive us to complacency. Which one is it for you? Notice the Apostle Paul here. He tells us that pursuing Jesus requires a forward focus on the race ahead. Pursuing Jesus requires what we realize is a holy realization that none of us here are in ideal spiritual health. But finally here this morning, I want you to hear that pursuing Jesus requires a holy, my friends, a holy anticipation of the finish line before us. This is really good news, that the race that you are called to is a race with a glorious finish. Sometimes we feel like the Christian life can just be this haphazard, purposeless, pointless. Where is this all headed to? In our worst moments, we can feel as if, is there there any end to the despair that I'm feeling? Is there any end to the discouragement? Is there any end to me feeling alone and forgotten here? And we need to be reminded that you're not on a, a story that doesn't have a definite finish line ahead. This side of heaven. That he calls us to a a definite finish line. He calls us to look forward with this holy anticipation of what lies before us. Now what is that finish line? Notice that he says here that the finish line, verse 11, verse 14, he uses this imagery here of the goal, of the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If, If you are a runner, a runner in the race of the Christian life, There will be a remarkable finish line ahead for you, for each and every one of us. It's a a little word, but it's a word that packs a, a really big punch. When Paul talks about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, it's a word that is filled with these Old Testament allusions. We can remember God calling Abram in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 to leave the land that he knew, friends, and what was comfortable, and and to be called to the land that he was showing him, a, a land that was unknown. Why? Genesis 12, verse 3, was good. He was going to be the father of a great nation, and through that great nation, all the nations would be blessed. And so for each and every one of us that are here, we are a part, if we're followers of Jesus, we're a part of this glorious family of runners, From all of the centuries and and all of the continents coming together to be able to to run toward this prize. Now some have run ahead of us and they're they're already there at the finish line through their death. But for all of us that are here, there's a definite destination for each and every one of us that are here. So don't lose heart. Do not lose heart when, when the race of the Christian life feels discouraging. Don't lose heart when you feel as if you're running this all by yourself. Don't lose heart when it feels as if the hills are just too steep to climb. Don't lose heart when you say, hey, I'm going to throw in the towel here. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch other people run this race. No, run the race ahead of you because there is a definite finish line where every tribe and every tongue and every people will gather together to be able to worship at the throne of our eternal God, the one who has called us and empowered us to run the very race that we've come to the completion of, where we have this glorious future in eternity, gathered together, worshiping Him. Every one of our pains that we experienced on the course of the Christian life will eternally become a praise. The disease that that robbed us of years and robbed us of health, this side of the the course of the race will, will endlessly be doxology all of our sins that, that cling to us, they will forevermore be released. And we will run and not grow faint. This is where we're headed to. It was about 12 or 13 years ago. I don't think it was Pheidippides that inspired me, but it was sort of a, of a... a motivation that I have from some good friends to enter into a marathon. The first marathon that I ran was the Country Music Marathon in Nashville. Me and 40,000 of my closest friends embarked on a race. I realized pretty early on in the race I was undertrained and overconfident, which is a really bad combination. I had heard of this proverbial wall that you hit. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'd run a half marathon. I had done the little training that uh, the Internet told me to do. So surely I could just be able to bust through that. But sure enough, I didn't run into a literal wall, but I might as well. Mile 19. It was an ugly final seven miles. It was filled with me having a little bit of self-doubt, wondering I could just kind of stop and have one of these Cars just drive me into the end here? Why am I going to put one foot in front of the next? But, but through this, I knew that Danielle, my wife, was at the finish line. I knew that my four-year-old son and a three-year-old son uh, were, were there at the, at the finish line. And so their presence there sort of motivated me, as ugly as it was, to just put one foot in front of the next, to run a little bit, walk a lot. And I got to the very end, and maybe it was a half a mile left, and, and what was in the end of the race, uh, kind of scarce uh, encouragers. It, it came to be hundreds of, of people that were sort of saying, go, oh, you've got this. The music picked up. And so that, that end of the race, I, I started running, and I started running, knowing that I could see the finish line in the horizon. And, and when I got really close to the very end, I, I heard someone from the crowd say, Daddy, Daddy. And I heard another one say, Daddy, Daddy. And the next thing I knew as I was running with with hundreds of my closest friends to get to the very end of the finish line, My, my oldest son grabbed a hold of one leg, and my middle son grabbed a hold of one leg, and we ran the rest of the race into the finish line. And when I think back on that race, there's a lot I could think about. I think about the hills, the soon to be insurmountable at times. I could think about the the heat and the humidity of a Nashville, April. But you know what I think about when I think of that race? I think about the finish line. I think about who was there to greet me at the end. And I'm here to tell you, when you think of the Christian race, look ahead to the finish line. Look ahead. No matter how steep the hills are right now, no no matter how callous your feet Feel with the difficulty of life, no matter how alone you feel in the race of the Christian life, no matter how defeated and discouraged you are, put one foot in front of the next because there's a glorious finish line ahead for you. And there are going to be friends and family. Yes, they are going to be friends and family that are going to be there to, to meet you in that glorious finish line. But the greater prize is not a family member. The greater prize is not a friend that has gone ahead to that eternal finish line. The greater prize is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Who when we cross that finish line, be it his second coming or be it our death, he wraps us in his arms and he says to us, well done. And we'll look back. And yes, there have been hills. We'll look back. And yes, there have been twists. We'll look back. And yes, there'll be turns. But we'll know in that moment and we'll know for eternity that every step was worth it. Because the prize Christ Jesus himself. And in eternity to be with him. So run, Christian. Run the race that is before you, knowing the spirit of God dwells in you. Hear the cheers of those that have gone before us. Look around you here this morning to see that there there are other runners that are running this race. And at times, it can be painful. At times, it can be blissful. But keep on running. What's ahead for us? Well, it's perfect submission will all be at rest. What is before us? Well, you and your Savior, you're going to be happy and blessed. What's before you? You're going to be watching and you're going to be waiting. You're going to be looking above, filled with his goodness. But for an eternity, every runner in Christ will be lost in his love. This is the finish line ahead. So do not stop. Keep pursuing Jesus. It's worth every step. He is the finish line. He is the prize. Let us pray.